Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Let's kick it over to Jen for our favorite news segment. Our only news segment. Our only news segment. (laughs) And yes, it's called What's Your Favorite Movie? At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. It's Lou Katz welcoming you once again to the podcast that attempts its best at informing you on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And without any delay, please welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, our pal Jen Cheney. Hello. Hello, hello. And with her, a man who remembers when movies played for over a year in theaters and with only one screen, and people actually liked it that way, you love him, Arch Campbell. Remember those days, don't you, Jen? I do remember that. We're going to have to be telling the next generation about them, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think so. It was a lot of fun. And, you you know, actually... Uh, on that subject, I find myself remembering the experiences that I particularly loved, you know, like uh, going to see Casablanca at midnight, coming out at 2 a.m. into a fog, uh, just like uh, we were walking out of the movie and, uh, and you know, going to the opening of uh, Indiana Jones and the audience just uh, ripping the place apart. That's my reverie these days, just remembering great experiences in movie theaters. Yeah, seems like a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but here we are today, and I always love uh, when you tell us what's coming down the pike on all the channels that I'm paying for and using. So what's new this week? Well, first of all, on Amazon, the second season of Homecoming drops on Friday. I don't know if you watched the first season of Homecoming uh, a couple years mm-hmm. ago, but this was a, a series based on a scripted podcast. The first season starred Julia Roberts, and she was a, oh. a therapist working at a facility called Homecoming that was- Yes, I did watch that and really yeah. liked it. Yeah, it was supposed to help um, members of the military coming back from overseas reacclimate to being back in kind of regular society. There were some weird things going on behind the scenes. Uh, and it was really kind of done in the vein of like 70s conspiracy thrillers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the second season, um, Julia Roberts is not in it. She's still on as a producer, but it opens. Uh, Janelle Monet is is sort of the primary star of it. It opens with Janelle Monet's characters in a rowboat in the middle of a lake. She doesn't remember who she is. She has no idea how she got there. And so the beginnings of it is, is just her trying to piece together who she is and what's going on. And it eventually links back into the story about homecoming from the first season. Uh-huh. But it's but it's a different it's a different setup. Um, and it is it's very good from a suspense point of view. I don't think it's quite as good as the first season, but right. but it's definitely worth watching. It's only seven episodes. Half first hour. season of homecoming was terrific. That was one of those things where I can't remember if we watched it all at once or if we had to wait for it, but uh, uh, that was that was huge. And now it's been just long enough that it's kind of uh, foggy. Uh, so uh, that sounds good. That's Amazon Prime? That's correct. Amazon Prime. Okay. I'm going to spring something on you from Amazon Prime later okay. on, but let me, let me listen to uh, what else is new. Okay. So <laughs> as we kind of head into summer, 
you're going to notice more and more silly game shows in primetime network <laughs> television, even more than right. usual, it feels like. So this week we have Ultimate Tag, which is what it sounds like, people playing tag, but it's, I think, kind of done in that American Ninja Warrior type of scenario. Then on Thursday night, Holy Moly returns to television. I don't know if you watched Holy Moly last year. I, I found Holy it Moly. Yes, it's um tell me more. <laughs> well, especially now when there's no sports, what America needs is a competitive miniature golf program. And that is what this is. The holes are just ridiculous. Um, Stephen Curry is one of the producers. It's a very, very silly thing, but it's kind of fun to watch. So that's coming back. And then next week there's a game show with Venus Williams and Rob Gronkowski. Um, I believe it's called Dare. It's going to be on CBS. And again, it, it is these, these sort of crazy obstacle course kind of situations. Um, but they, they each have different contestants that sort of play on their team every week. Um, now, who is running Holy Moly? What's that? What channel is that? Oh, on? I'm sorry. That's on ABC. Oh, okay. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, the, I, if, I would have guessed ABC. Oh, really? Why? They seem, well, they just seem to love uh, reprising all of these uh, wacky shows, like all of these Hollywood Square type shows. Or yeah, they haven't brought Hollywood Squares back, but they have brought back Match Game and, you know, Celebrity Family Feud. They have a bunch of them. You're right. And and those are yeah. all coming back this summer, too. So anyway, <laughs> keep, keep your eye out for a lot of game shows. And then the last thing I wanted to note is that after the huge success of The Last Dance mm -hmm. on ESPN, which just wrapped up last Sunday, they're going to be rolling out some new 30 for 30 documentaries every Sunday night and starting this Sunday with one about Lance Armstrong that should be interesting given his history. Um, I don't yeah. think it's going to be as big as the Michael Jordan one was for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, the documentaries they do are always really fascinating and well done. So if you enjoyed watching 30 for, th I mean, um, the last dance, there's more sports documentaries right. coming. And I find it interesting that ABC, the network that owns ESPN, uh, also uh, decided to tie in to uh, The Last Dance, that mm -hmm. uh, I think they had several discussions of it, and, uh, and the crossover is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, well, again, you know, we're getting to the point where network TV is is going to have to be getting creative about how to fill their, their time, and if they've got, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a channel in their arsenal that had a big hit, if they can... Uh, piggyback on it why not nowadays uh i guess an audience of five million people is considered uh an out of this world smash right well it depends um but yeah that's a that's a pretty decent number um it, and, it's hard to get the kind of you know major numbers i think the last show that got major numbers would be game of thrones which is no longer around <laughs> 20 years ago uh five million uh, audience uh, and they'd cancel you <laughs> right. So, right. So that's a, I wanted to mention to you, I found uh, cable TV's uh, answer to comfort food. Uh -huh. Gina and I have started uh, binging Bosch on Amazon. Have you ever watched Bosch? I have not, no. It stars Titus Wellliver. 
Have you heard of him? I have, it's yeah. Based on a series of novels about a L.A. police department detective. And uh, and also uh, Lance Riddick is in this. The guy, that, that intense actor from The Wire. He's the chief of police. And it's L.A. And it's, uh, you know, it's, he's a detective. And he's uh, getting to the bottom of this. And also his mother was a prostitute who was killed. And he's trying to solve that case from 30 years ago. And it's very Norish, you know, and also very L.A. centric. Half the scenes are shot at Musso and Frank. The other <laughs> half are shot at the Formosa Cafe. <laughs> Lots of driving around L.A. And every time, you know, they'll get out and they'll be at the La Brea Tar Pits. <laughs> it's kind of Philip Chandler-like. Uh and there's six seasons of it. And actually, I hear they're going to start a seventh season. And I just, I find it very comforting to watch. And there's so many of them that it, it's just kind of filling in the glue until I find something else to really glom onto. So uh, so that's my comfort food, Bosch. And I don't know if you had uh, seen any of that or not or noticed it, but they're going into their seventh season. Titus Welliver, he was, uh, was he on Lost? He was, yeah. Yeah, and, which I never watched. Oh my gosh. Wow. We can no longer do this <laughs> podcast together. I'm sorry. It's been fun, but it's over now. I knew. I knew I would bring you up to the red line someday. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was doing Stop something Bosch else. And start watching that. God. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this is a very serious week for uh, major losses in the world of entertainment. And um, several major players uh, have departed this week. And I think we deserve uh, to discuss them. And uh, let us begin with the... Uh, beloved character actor Fred Willard. And what are your thoughts on Fred Willard? He was 86, 86. Yeah, I mean, I think it's surprising because he was still working, uh-huh. you know? I was watching, um, there's a new Netflix show which we'll talk about next week um, called Space Force. Yeah. And he, he's in that and he plays Steve Carell's father. And uh-huh. I mean, that. so he was really working right up until... He passed away. You know, you just you felt like you were still going to see him in in all kinds of different projects. He was just funny in every every single thing that he did. Uh, but especially the Christopher Guest. Especially uh, those. I mean, my favorite thing that he did is is certainly what happened from um, Heidi <laughs> Wind. I I that's great. <laughs> And of course, you know, and the uh, we're going to play some of the uh, of his uh, riffs from Best in Show, where he's he's the hapless broadcaster. It's kind of latter day Bob and Ray, just kind of the clueless broadcaster who knows nothing about the world of show dogs and is prattling on, <laughs> saying these ridiculous, horrible things, just totally unaware. Uh, and of course, I can identify 
with that myself. <laughs> I, I first found him back in the 70s. There was, uh, I think it was Norman Lear did Mary Hartman, Mary Hart, which was oh, yeah. a, a riff on soap operas. And then they took off for the summer and the replacement was Fernwood Tonight, right. which was a low, low budget, no budget talk show. And Fred Willard was on, he was the, uh, the sidekick to Martin Mull, the announcer on that. And that's when I first uh, got clued into him. And then mm -hmm. ever since, he's to, his, uh, his acting credits are, uh, you know, they're, they're as long as my arm. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad to, uh, to report uh, his demise. He and Jimmy Fallon had uh, quite a nice uh, relationship. And let's talk about Lynn Shelton who I know is close to your heart, uh, particularly for the uh, kind of uh, independent films uh, that she uh, helmed. Yeah, I mean, I was, the news of her death came, I, I mean, within like 10 minutes of, of my seeing about Fred, Fred Willard. And for her, that, that I mean, it this was much more shocking to me just because she was very young. She was only 54. She died of a previously undiagnosed blood disorder. So she, she had no idea that she had whatever this condition was. Oh. Um, and she, you know, she came to filmmaking a little bit on the later side and she, and she did it really by doing it on her own. Um, the first indie that she made that was really well known was Hump Day, but she made a number of other films, including one that came out last year called Sword of Trust that was very good. But the other really amazing thing about her was her TV credits. I mean, name a show that you liked <laughs> at any point from the past like 10 years and she probably directed an episode of it. Oh, Mad Men, for example. Yes, she directed the Hands and Knees episode of Mad Men, which was a major mm -hmm. episode. And that was the first episode of television that she ever directed. She did, you know, a lot of um, comedy. She did New Girl. She did a number of episodes of Fresh Off the Boat. She directed Glow. She did Master of None, a really great show on, on Hulu called Casual. Uh, just recently, several episodes of Little Fires Everywhere, Dickinson. I mean, it, it was, just, she just did really great shows. And, and I think what she brought to everything she did was just this innate understanding of human behavior and really being able to capture what that looks like and also to get really great performances out of the actors that she was working with, because that was how she started. She started out as an actor. And I think she had a real sense of how to get great performances out of people. So I was really, really sad to hear that she died. If you were to recommend one of her films, uh, would it be Hump Day? Yeah, although I have to say, and maybe this is a recency effect, but I, I mm -hmm. went back and I was watching um, a movie that she directed called Outside In with Edie Falco which is on Netflix and it's it's really, really good. Um, it's about a guy who gets out of prison and the, he has a relationship with his old teacher who helped him get out. And, and it, once he's out of prison, they have this weird um, dynamic between them. Uh, and I think it is very, again, reflective of what she was so good at, which is just studying people and studying characters. Another thing this week that I think caught a lot of people's attention, particularly uh, in my age group, is uh, the death of Phyllis George, mm -hmm. 70 years old. And I just want to say that when Phyllis George first became known as Miss America in, I think, 1970, and when she won Miss America, 80 million people tuned in to watch that broadcast that night. Oh, 
she is a reminder that at one point in our world, the Miss America pageant was uh, as big as the Super Bowl or the Oscars. It was a huge deal. And, and for her to win it made her a major uh, player. Uh, and, and she knew what to do once she got that notoriety. And building on it as uh, the sportscaster on NFL Today on CBS. It's a season second Sunday coming right at you on the NFL Today. The words hardly exist to describe uh, her impact as a sportscaster and a trailblazer and uh, the effect she had and uh, and the chemistry they had on that uh, show even with Jim you know this this diverse wide uh, bunch of people Jimmy the Greek and Brent ah. Musburger and just uh, she brought a modern vibe to sports and uh, that uh, achievement uh, is not to be overlooked. I also uh, want to mention that uh, her daughter is uh, Pamela Brown, who started her career at Channel 8 and Channel 7 and is now on CNN. And Pamela Brown has done uh, quite well on her own and very rarely uh, mentions the, uh, the connection uh, between Phyllis George and her. I, I encountered Phyllis George two or three times. And the one thing you hear about her is she was nice. Mm -hmm. She was, you know, she was approachable and she was nice. Mm -hmm. And um, she, she hit a bump when she anchored the CBS Morning News in the 80s. But CBS Morning News for many years was a troubled uh, production anyhow. So uh, everyone has kind of forgotten about this. She's married to Robert Evans for a few months, mm. a Hollywood guy. And then she married uh, John Y. Brown, who became governor of Kentucky. And uh, John Y. Brown is uh, Pamela Brown's father. The Excuse obituary me. in the um, Courier Journal at least the initial one was so frustrating for me to read because mm -hmm. I understand why they wanted to emphasize the local localness around her mm -hmm. um, in that they talked a lot about her being the first lady and they talked about her being Miss America. They barely, barely talked about her as a broadcaster. And I, I, I was infuriated by it because that's, I mean, that's what I think of first yeah. when I think of, of her. And certainly I think that's, as you said, she was a trailblazer in that regard. Every modern thing about sports broadcasting can be traced back to Phyllis George, I think, and uh, the impact she had on television. And she was, you know, she was, that was not easy. That, it's not, you know, what she did was not easy. So it's still not. Uh, no, no. It, in fact, it's harder than ever. I, I, I just found myself uh, shocked that uh, she passed away at 70. Nobody knew. And then uh, now this brings us to Ken Osmond, better known as Eddie Haskell. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, what a great character. What a great character. Um, you know, I I watched Leave it to Beaver really avidly because it, it, it was on in reruns and it, it made kind of a comeback in the 70s and 80s because of yeah. that. And um, he was just the ultimate suck up. Gee, Mrs. Cleaver, your hair looks nice. Thank you, Eddie. Just don't trust a 13-year-old boy that's that polite. <laughs> and now now our country is run by a Congress full of Eddie Haskell. Oh, that's you know what? That's being charitable. I wish Eddie Haskell was in Congress. <laughs>
<laughs> Ken Osmond. Uh, and later, you know, he was so typecast that he found it hard to get work after uh, Leave it to Beaver, although he, he did uh, have a revival as the show was revived. But for many years, he was a, an L.A. Uh, motorcycle cop. Yeah. And actually, he was shot at a couple of times. Um, anyway, his, his, it's not for nothing when you can create a character like Eddie Haskell that is beyond the show that all we have to say is, uh, who are you, Eddie Haskell? You know, to when somebody is sucking up. Um, yeah, it wasn't so, too long. It was like a couple of weeks actually before he died, Eddie Haskell was trending on Twitter because of, and I can't remember what the reason was, but somebody was making a reference to Eddie Haskell in, in an interview or something. And and uh, yeah, I mean, it was still, that character is still part of the vernacular and you know exactly what people mean when they say it. You know, the, uh, the urban myth was that Eddie Haskell had grown up to become Alice Cooper. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, and I and I actually pissed Eddie Haskell. It hit pissed uh, Ken Osmond off, and and I I think Alice Cooper kind of kind of liked to uh, stir that pot. So uh, so those are four extraordinary uh, characters in our uh, our society that we must say goodbye to. So um, so we bid them a fond farewell. Oh, but speaking of that. Uh, I got an email this week. Oh, yeah? and this is not from the lone emailer. <laughs> this <laughs> is from another guy, Mark Weinberg, who lives in Fort Pierce, Florida. And he said he grew up in eastern Montgomery County near New Hampshire Avenue. He started listening to Little Richard, whom we talked about last week when he mm -hmm. passed away, and said his music was like an adrenaline shot straight into my brain. Many years later, when Little Richard was on the skids, he played a gig at the Glen Echo Amuse Amusement Park in Bethesda. He says, wow. I was probably in my mid-20s. Must, this must have been in the uh, late 60s or early 70s. Glen Echo was as down at the heels as Little Richard's career. All I remember is his white outfit, piles of pompadoured hair, and the crazy energy he gyrated. He jumped on top of the piano, yelled at the few of us in the audience, and we yelled back at him, and he gave his performance 110%, even though there was hardly anybody there he was mesmerizing same as ever and that's what I remember I, in fact I will never forget it and I think the point is even guys like little Richard you know they're they they had a lot of ups and downs and some of the downs were pretty down there mm -hmm. so thank you for that so Lou Lou if somebody wants to email us how do they do it well, of course, you got Arch at houndradio.com, and we have plenty of space on the server, Arch, because I've noticed <laughs> the emails have dropped. The email had, had dropped off. Now, yeah. now, now, Jen, if somebody wants to reach you, how's that, how's that work? They can email me at jen.chaney at nymag.com. Mm, yeah, New York Magazine. I don't know if I've told you, but when I first got the movie gig back in the 70s, uh, one of the things I did is I subscribed to New York Magazine. I was living in Texas, and when New York Magazine arrived and I could uh, read it, I think Judith Christ was the film reviewer. I just felt like I was such a grown-up, and I, I have a big... Uh, <laughs> 
I have a warm spot in my heart for New York Magazine still. Let's pitch it back to Lou and let's hear a plug for Hound Radio. Here's one of the features we run throughout the week. Check this out. sniffing around getting you helpful residential real estate tips like this. Is it a good time to buy or sell real estate in the midst of a recession? While we are in a recession, that doesn't instantly mean that home prices are going down. There are less buyers, but there are also a lot less homes on the market, and the old rule of supply and demand still holds. Currently, homes are still selling with multiple offers and higher than asking price. And because lending requirements have tightened, the buyers are more qualified and ready to move forward. Some predictions are showing a slight price drop in 2020. And if the economy slows down for too long, this can affect job loss as well as the real estate market and even inventory. But currently, we're not seeing that at all in the D.C. area. And even if prices somewhat drop, it's important to remember that real estate is a long-term investment. And in the long run, properties will appreciate in value. That and historically low interest rates make it a great opportunity for buyers. And with all that said, just like any other time, it's important to weigh your personal and financial situation against the current market. I'm Karen Parnes for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Well, now it's time to play What's Your Favorite Movie? in which Jen Cheney stumps me and Lou and showcases her knowledge and good taste, which is what this thing is all about. Oh, I don't think that's what it's about, but... uh... I was, um, you know, I was looking at at what would have been the movie release schedule if we were still, you yeah, know, in a normal society. And I believe sometime in the past, like week or two, we would have been watching uh, a new Saw movie starring Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, I was... <laughs> um, so that made me think about horror movies in general, and I was curious what your favorite horror movie is. Ooh, what's your favorite horror movie? Well, uh, you know, I finally remember seeing the first Friday the 13th with uh, Betsy Palmer was in that. You remember that? She had yeah, been a, sure. She'd been kind of a game show personality in the uh, 60s. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm, that comes to mind because it started a genre. Uh, but if I have to think of horror movies, uh, I could go one of two ways. My favorite horror movie is the original 1932 version of The Mummy with Boris Karloff. The Mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll Feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end. You ever seen that? I don't. I don't know if I have. It's so weird, and it's so 1930s, and they're in Cairo, and this woman uh, is drawn to Boris Karloff, and you know the whole thing was a riff on King Tut's tomb, which they found in the 1920s, and they imagine that this guy, they they find this. <laughs> this scroll and it says death eternal death to anyone who opens this box and you know they're they're researchers for the uh british museum and so the assistant says well let's see what's inside (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, you know, uh, uh, Boris Karloff is in control of the soul of this woman. And they're really, you know, it's, it's, there's a very uh, erotic, romantic theme to it. Hmm. Uh, but having said that, I'm going to say if I have to name a favorite horror movie, I'm going to go with Get Out for the oh, same wow. reason. It started a genre. And, you know, you mentioned Saw. Saw, I think, you know, now the genre is, it's horror, but there's also a certain amount of humor to it and some social commentary as well. And I think uh, a lot of that can be traced to Get Out. So that's, that's where I'm going. Get Out. Lewis? Alien. Alien. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was at the Uptown Theater watching that movie at a screening yes. and that, that monster jumped out of that guy's chest and I walked out. I said, I'm done. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. I, 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 you I, I'm not a big horror movie fan, but I saw that and went, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> that was John uh, Hurt, right? The great English actor yes. who had the uh, the thing uh, jump out of his uh, God, the thing stomach. Went, <laughs> spun around. I, went, I, I, just, I said, okay, I'm getting a pop- popcorn refill and I'm leaving. <laughs> and, okay, Jen, what's your favorite horror movie? Um, well, I have two. Uh, uh-huh. The first one is Poltergeist, um, mm, because yeah. I believe everyone has a, a movie that ruined their childhood. And <laughs> for me, it was that because we couldn't get into CET. And <laughs> I truly I, I really believe this is like a, a thing that happened to almost everyone in my generation. It was sold out. And so my parents knew that this other movie existed and Spielberg was involved in some way. And it was PG because there, there was no PG-13 uh-huh. at that time. Um, in fact, PG-13 came about because of several movies, that one being one of them. Right. And so my mother had been talking to another mother who told her that it would be okay if I saw it as long as she covered my eyes when the guy rips his face off. <laughs> Which, as a parent now, I would I would say, you know what? No, we're not going to go see that. But my parents took me to see it anyway, and it scared the hell out of all of us, I think. And um, I definitely did not go to sleep before the sun came up for that entire summer. And another favorite is the original Halloween, uh, which, mm. along with Friday the 13th, um, I think started the the kind of slasher genre but I just think Halloween the original John Carpenter Halloween is just so well done and I I, to me that's it's every Halloween if I don't see it at least a little bit of it I feel like something's wrong it's the same way I feel about Christmas if I don't see it's a wonderful life (laughs) so um I think those are my two favorites yeah and Halloween you know that's that started an entire genre the guy he's in the house right right (laughs) he's in there with you Oh my God. So Lewis, I want to ask you a question. Where can people find this podcast? It's available through SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So you got three ways to go. Oh, we're on Spotify now? Yes, we are. Oh, good. And if you go, do you... Do we get those reviews on the uh, on the Apple page? I haven't I haven't ch- I haven't checked the Apple page in a while, but I, I think there ha- there have been some up there. Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to review us, and if it's nice, <laughs> we'd like for you to do that. If it's not nice, and skip if it. Terrible, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're all going to be nice. What's next, Arch? Okay, Jen, what are your favorites of the last few months? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I will say, first of all, that we have a running list on Vulture of the best shows of 2020 so far. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff on there. Yeah. 
Um, but I would highlight Mrs. America, which mm -hmm. we've talked about quite a bit on here. Yes. Unorthodox, which is a terrific show, only four episodes, um, but really, really transportive. Uh, it's on Netflix. And then if you're just looking for something smart and light, uh, High Fidelity, which came out earlier this year and it feels like a lifetime ago, but the, it's a remake of it on Hulu with Zoe Kravitz. I, I really enjoyed that. And I just want to say one other thing, which I swear I was going to say before, regardless, is that this weekend will mark the 10th anniversary of the Lost finale. Um, oh. So it is a very good time to go back and watch Lost, which is something I've been doing for professional reasons. It is also on Hulu, the whole the whole series. Is that aimed at me? You think I no, should start Lost? No, I was going to that before you brought it up. <laughs> I I'm going to look at that. I agree with you about Mrs. America, uh, and it's winding down. And when people ask me, I also mention Unorthodox, as well as Ozark Season 3, and uh, The Plot Against America. Hey, next week is our gala summer preview. We're going to look ahead to what's coming this summer. And uh, after that, we're going to uh, go to a summer schedule for every couple of weeks. But we'll be back next week. And Lou, will you close things up for us? I want to run that great piece from Fred Willard at the dog show. I love this. And we'll catch you next week. She has really given him a thorough going over. Are all judges that thorough? I mean, yes, she looks yes. at the teeth. It's very important that all the attributes are examined. Uh, teeth, eyes, Runs, ears, ouch. gums. Am I seeing right? Where's she putting her hands now? Uh, she's just checking out the dog's uh, testicular area Ooh. to make sure <laughs> uh, to make sure that uh, that everything is intact. Hate to go out on a date with Judge uh, Edie Franklin, have her judge me. That'd be no fun. Would you please take your dog down and back for me, please? Now she's having a dog's why do they have them run away from them and then back up? What's the point of that? What are they looking for? They're looking for the gait and movement of the uh -huh. dog. And it's very important to see the small angles. So uh, Edie will be checking out this in particular. Good way to judge a woman. Have her run away from you and then run back. You know, those birds on Connaby Street. Yes. I'm used to seeing them run away from me more often than <laughs> run towards me. Yeah. Uh, now, what is that? Is that that's a... Uh, a bloodhound, isn't it? No, I think this is a tremendous dog, and I would say maybe in two to three years this could be a champion dog. But I just think it may be a tad immature for this year. Just trying to get a little playing time in. And take your dog down and back for me, please. Now, you know what would be funny? I don't know if they can do this. Uh, uh, just an idea off the top of my head. Why didn't he put the blood on, put on one of those Sherlock Holmes hats and put a little pipe in his mouth? Are they ever allowed to do anything like that, dress up a dog in a funny way? You know, that's, that's not quite what the uh, purpose of these shows but it is. But I think it would really get the crowd going. You know, you know what I mean? The Sherlock Absolutely, Holmes hat yes. with the pipe. I don't know if you could make it look like smoke's coming out of the pipe. I think that would be a little dangerous. <laughs> I'd get a kick out of it. Now that looks like a fast dog. Is that faster than a greyhound? Well, if you put him in a race, who would come in first? If you had a little jockey on him going. Uh, let me ask you this. If you're going to put him on a football team, which would be your wide receiver, which would be your tight end? Who can go the farthest, the fastest? Well, I, I don't know any dogs that play football. <laughs> I'm having some fun with you here. This is the Cats Podcasting System.